This podcast is for grown-ups only. Some of the content may not be appropriate for little ears like mine. God will fix it someday. He will make it right. Jesus will come back. Like, there's hope in that. And the gospel has such a better answer to every problem. This is Diagnostic Cops Calling. I'm Anthony Weaver, and my better half, Lauren, uh, is with me for the final episode of season one. Uh, Lauren, you were on the very first episode of season one, so it kind of seems appropriate that you should be on the final episode of this season. What say you? I say, yeah. It's, uh, it's really exciting that you're a whole season in. And yeah, it's really exciting to be wrapping it up. It's very cool that it's been able to just keep momentum and stay stay uh, consistent. Yeah, yeah. But I think we uh, we definitely both feel like it's time for a break. We did um, thirty one public epi- episodes uh, since February, and by the end of the year, we'll have four patron only episodes. Uh, available so that's a that's a grand total for those of you who have trouble adding 35 i had to use a calculator myself (laughs) Um, you're good at mental math you were just schooling the kids the other day uh i don't know if i would say i was schooling them (laughs) well they're also in kindergarten and second grade so (laughs) yeah you're really talking me up here um but yeah no 35 uh episodes um and this is the final episode technically Technically, not the final, final episode, because I'm doing a special live episode for patrons, and I actually just nailed down a date for that. It's going to be December 7th at 8 p.m. December 7th is a Tuesday, I believe. Awesome. I got it. I'm actually double checking right now. Yeah. December 7th, a Tuesday at 8 p.m. will be the live episode for patrons. And uh, how the live episodes usually work... uh, how the live actually I've only done one other live episode how the one work that I did previous it was my patrons who gave 10 plus dollars per month uh but I think because it's like a special like Christmas edition and we're doing the prize drawing um I'm going to allow the five plus dollars a month patrons to also join in on the live episode so that means all my patrons really um all my patrons will be able to join in uh, for that live episode. And on that episode, another patron perk, we're going to be doing the patron prize drawing. A uh, couple of you actually have multiple chances to win because you participated in the last live drawing. So um, some of you have a better chance of winning. And the gift, I just nailed this down as well, a $100 gift card. gift card to Ellicott & Co., uh, the store that I manage, uh, which is really cool. The store owners are putting some money into that, and I'm putting some money into that. And uh, that will be the prize uh, for that drawing when we do the patron prize drawing during that live episode. December 7th, 8 p.m., 
Um, I'll be sending more information out to my patrons about that. If you want to become a patron and still haven't done so, you can go to patron.podbean.com backslash ACC. So cool do stuff. it. Do it. It's I- going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Gary's going to be on that episode. Um, and uh, I have some ideas of what we may do for that episode. Well, we'll see. I'm still fleshing out exactly uh, the direction we're going to go in that episode, but you as patrons can interact live. You can ask questions live. If you're not going to be able to join us live, uh, I'll give you an opportunity to send questions into us. Um, so it might just turn into us to, into an ask, ask us anything type episode. Uh, but I also have some, a couple other ideas. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to tease you. I was going to say you're being a super generous and i'm not going to be able to call you scrooge this year christmas time you're just opening opening up your (laughs) podcast to all the patrons and getting gift cards and scrooge no more yeah yeah well um my uh my mennonite heritage has uh caused me to uh (laughs) uh pinch pennies at times so yeah it's more than that you're just you have a bah humbug kind of an attitude sometimes oh i see where you're going yeah. No, I. You're you're feeling festive already. It's only October. I know. It's not Who that I have you? a ba. <laughs> um. My well, my appearance has changed. You might not know who I am because <laughs> I had to shave off most of my beard. My poor beard gone. But here's the thing, I did it for the right reason. What was that? First or second, Peter? This this verse actually played an important role in me trimming back my beard because you did not like the beard at all. Now, you had given me a year to grow it, and you were standing fast to that. You even told me, yeah. hey, don't, don't trim it down. Keep it for I the year. I gave you a year. Yeah. And I was like, it's not worth it. I'm not growing a beard for anyone else. I'm growing it for I, you, babe. I did hate it. It's true. It was, it was hideous. <laughs> so I trimmed it down. I do miss it. I, I, did, I did love the gnarly beard, man. Yeah. It, was, it was getting radical. Someday if I go blind. <laughs> you can grow that beard again. But I trimmed it back. and, and Looks good. Well, thanks. And that's all. See, that's all that matters. Like, you're the only person <laughs> that I should uh, care uh, when it comes to my beard and if it's liked or not. If other people like it, it, it shouldn't matter. But it did come down. I think it's a ver- I want to say Second Peter. I might be I might be off on that. But where it talks about living with your wife in an understanding way. And uh, it was it was it yeah. was getting in the way. It was time. All right. Season two. I know we're already talking. We're ending season one, but season two will start uh, in January at some point. I haven't landed on an official date yet, and there could be some changes coming. Uh, I'm not going to tease that too much, but there could be some uh, changes coming that I hope uh, everyone likes. I know everyone will understand. Everyone's super understanding in in our day and time. <laughs> Don't give away too much. But uh, but yeah, no. Um, Definitely, definitely going to be starting it back up on January, yeah, 20, uh, January 2022. Uh, just not sure exactly uh, what that will look like. Um, listen, support has been phenomenal. Uh, messages and comments every week from people uh, has been so encouraging to me. Uh, I've been able to establish a consistent listener base every week. It seems to be growing um, little by little. Uh, so that's been super encouraging. And uh have established a good patron base that that's really helped me to offset some of the ongoing costs of the podcast, uh, plus be able to get some new equipment 
and hardware for you know the studio space that we have here in the basement so uh that's been awesome like i i've really been blown away i i don't i don't know that i had like clear uh expectations about what this would be uh or or how it would turn out but just really blown away uh by the support uh, by both my patrons, especially my patrons, but just really everyone. Like every week, people are are like listening to it, and uh, and I'll be honest. Some weeks I don't know why, because I listen to the episodes and I'm like, oh my word, this is this is not that great of a product. But you know, Lord's helped me every single week to to yeah. get an episode out, and uh, it's challenging because you put something out. And you look back and you're like, oh, I wish I would have said that differently. I wish I would have nuanced that. I'm not even sure that what I said there was completely biblical. Like, you know, you, you start like you, right. you pick your pick it apart. But once it's out there, it's out there. And, uh, you know, I try to do my due diligence and, and, and think critically while I'm putting together my outlines and everything. But, man, sometimes I listen to it. I'm like, man, I should, I, man, I could have, I could have definitely worded that differently or said that differently or just, uh, provided some clarity, uh, for that. But all that said, you know, I feel like, um, definitely God helps me every week, put it together. So yeah, that's absolutely. a, that's a grace. Um, so yeah, I, I, as I was just thinking back, I mean, we're going to, kind of touch on it. We are touching on some current events in this episode, but I, I also just at the beginning here kind of wanted to look back on the past season one and just try to um, look at the mission statement. And again, our, the mission was aspires to promote law enforcement with a biblical worldview and help people better understand the calling and um, of, of being a police officer. And so, uh, yeah, like what did, when you hear that mission, do you do you think I stayed on mission? It's hard sometimes. Yeah, no, I think I think you did. I think, you know, you're you're being humble and you have a um, you know, you're you're looking looking back at at the season and at yourself and um humbly and and you know, with a with kind of a critical eye because you know, it's it that's just that's just how it is when you're when you're critiquing yourself or you're um you know, you you know all the things you could do differently, would have done differently, could have right. said differently. But I think, um, yeah, li- like you said, the, I think the support spe- and the comments and the um, encouragement kind of speaks for itself and and speaks to your fulfilling your mission. Um, you know, I think how many people have even told me, you know, that they just have a better understanding. Even people that are supportive of law enforcement, um, you know, right. to begin with, just have a better understanding of why police did certain things in certain instances and why they might, you know, act a certain way or do certain things. And right. um, that's been super encouraging to me because particularly, you know, in, in 2020, it just felt like everyone was jumping to the wrong conclusions, just continually, you know, confused about what the problems were and how to help and all of it. So, right. I think at the beginning of the season, I was pretty raw still. Yeah. I mean, I had just mm-hmm. retired, so I was pretty raw. And I felt this like need to try to stuff everything yeah. into those first couple episodes. And looking back, I wish I could have would have been a little more relaxed, which is really not my MO. Um, uh, but, you know, 
and just not, you know, that's one thing I've learned as the season goes on. You don't have to say everything that you want to mm-hmm. say in one episode. You can you can say it on other episodes. Um, it's okay. But yeah, I appreciate you saying that because I do about other people, like even people who support the police, feeling like the podcast has helped them to better understand because that is one of the key yeah. components of it, of mm-hmm. the mission statement and also of the goals I laid out for myself. And and just to basically ask ask some questions. Like I I I was like, you know, if if there's one thing that, you know, when I talk about current events, when I when I critique a uh, video, when I do the cue the dip, um, those types of things, just wanting people to be able to ask the questions like, what would have I done in that situation? How would have I handled that suspect? You know, people are so quick to say what the police did wrong, but I want people to be quicker to say, you know, how would have I handled that situation? How would have I handled that suspect? And um, also, what what do I really know about the situation? I'm seeing like a 30 second clip. I'm seeing, you know, what the news is putting out there or whatever. But what do I really know about it? Like before, after, during even. Um, and um, and the other question, am I assigning motives to the police officers based on evidence, based on like cold, hard facts or just what I believe or even my past experiences? Um, and uh and another thing is, like, do I know an officer I can call and ask about this situation? Mm. Um, you know, I talked about that in, in at least one of my podcasts where people seeing something, reaching out to me and asking, like, hey, what do you think about this? Or pulling me aside and saying, hey, I saw this video. Like, what as, as a police officer, what do you think about that? That's huge. Instead of just drawing a conclusion based on really not having the training and level experience. So I hope you know, some of those questions come to mind now for people that listen to uh, Diakonasa Cops Calling. They, they're they like, okay, I'm seeing this video. I don't quite understand it. I'm going to ask myself some of these questions or go seek uh, some answers from from someone I know. And and that includes me. You can always hit me up at diakonasacc at gmail.com and be like, hey, I saw this video. Uh, you know, what do you think about it? Um, and uh you know, if I feel like typing, I'll type a response. If I don't, I may just ask you for your phone number and hit you <laughs> up and and call you. But yeah, so that that's a real big part of the mission. Um, I think the biggest part of the mission for me, and one of the hardest things, is that I just like we live in a outrage culture. Like a lot of the people I even like to follow, you know, some of the more you know conservative pundits and 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 people I like to follow. They they uh, make money and they they uh, they benefit from this outrage culture where they just like feed this machine of like I can't believe I can't believe that person would do that um, and for sure you know you and I you know can very easily become upset um, and outraged at some of the stuff we see going on in our culture and we see going on in relation to the police um and uh at times we we have to watch you know watch our attitudes about that but that really becomes like clickbait for people because people just feed their outrage you know like oh look at this guy he said this and i agree with him and i'm going to share it and then i'm going to add my own little comments and uh all this and that and 
So while I want to bring light to current events and I want to cause people to think critically about them and what's going on, um, and while I want people to be aware and while I want people to be like, is this really okay? I'm like, I just don't want to be another Mm -hmm. voice in that outrage culture. And so that's why part of that mission is the biblical worldview. And then one of my goals is, is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we can be upset with what's going on in the world, but the bottom line is sinner is going to sin. Whether you're, whether you're you know, in the process, whether you're a believer and you're in the process of being sanctified, or whether you, you uh, are still an enemy of God and you don't know him, um, sinners are going to sin. And, and so, but, but there, there is an answer for that. So behind all my like annoyance and and passion and at times like anger about certain things is this idea that there there is a better way. It points to something that's better. Um, so, but that has been a challenge on the podcast to do that because I can rail. Like I can really rail. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so can you. That's true. Behind closed doors. I do yeah, my best railing. I, I do wish like on these episodes you would rail a little more sometimes because you, and maybe as we get down into some of these uh, current events, you will a little bit. But behind, when it's just you and me, man, we can really get after it. Like people would, uh, <laughs> we would but be it, canceled. Well, yeah. And it, and it might not always be helpful. I think I think there's a there might be a time and a place for that, especially because you and I tend to process verbally, I think, especially me. So I think, you know, when you're behind closed doors in the safety of, you know, your own home and your relationship like that, that might be the time and the place for that. But I, I do think that you've done a good job and that God has really helped you to, you know, process on your own um, to to write, write good outlines, which helps you, you know, kind of. Like once it's there and you're rereading it and, you know, that's helping you filter through like, okay, you know, this is meat and this is just, this isn't going to be helpful. Um, and, and you pray, you know, you're faithful to pray that God gives you wisdom to speak truth, speak things that are helpful. Um, it might not be unpopular, but that doesn't mean it's not helpful. Right. Um, so I, you know, all of those things um, have, I think have helped you to fulfill the first mission, first part of the mission, and the second part of the mission that you that you're highlighting now, which is you know to to bring to bring hope, not just be like here's all the things that are wrong, right? Um, which you know the world doesn't have any answers for any of the things that are wrong, um, the, but the Bible does, the gospel does, and you've you've brought that every week, and I'm proud of you for that, and I'm thankful that God has just given you the the yeah. boldness and the um, clarity to 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 do that. Yeah. And there are times, like, it is difficult to do that at times, because sometimes I'm like, I probably could get some more listeners if I didn't talk about uh, Jesus. I mean, I'll yeah. just be perfectly honest. Like, there, and, and I have to fight against that, because, like you said, there is no hope in, in the world. The world does not offer any hope. And that, that's my big, like, you know, obviously my big thing against the whole social justice movement. I talk about BLM because they directly are related to law enforcement, but there's a lot of social justice right. movements that are are getting their tentacles into all parts of society, including uh, law enforcement, and there's no hope in them. They right. offer no hope 
it only like the only thing they offer is division and like classification of people and like assigning victimhood. And there's no hope in that. There's really no hope in that at all. There's no, you never get out of it because there's no call for forgiveness. There's a call for retribution and making it right. And, and, uh, and, and so if there's always a call for retribution and making things right, there's not a call for forgiveness. Right. Um, and, and as a forgiven person, Hmm. uh, because of, you know, God in his infinite, um, mercy and grace providing a way through Jesus, um, I've been forgiven. So like that, that, that's so important that like, that's always a very important part of my episodes that I try to at least, you know, have some level of hope in there. I mean, you know, you're wading through this world and especially social media. It's like, Man, we are doomed. And quite frankly, we are. You know, as a world, we're, right. we're there, doomed. There will be an end, yes. There will, yes. There will but, be an end. Yeah, but there is, there is hope. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then the other part of, of that mission is to promote law enforcement. And I know, um, you know, it's really easy to find faults um, in law enforcement. I mean, th- those faults are, are, uh, pushed and I mean the news salivates over right. the faults of the police and for sure the police aren't without sin so it's easy to find those things but that's not part of the mission of this podcast um you know I do think uh promoting law enforcement is is um is also challenging the profession so I do try to challenge uh the profession at times mainly when it comes to leadership and mainly when it comes to cautioning how I see some agencies attaching themselves to social justice movements. Um, but I, 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 you know, and, and again, I think, yeah, I'm promoting law enforcement, but I do think that leaders within some of these agencies need to recognize the mission. They need to define the mission. They need to set expectations. They need to back their, their uh, officers up, even if it means they take hits. Um, so, so I do highlight some of that on on the uh, podcast and I've worked with some really good leaders. I worked with some really terrible leaders too, but I've worked with some really good ones. And um yeah, so it's just it's just interesting we we need more leaders, we need more good leaders um from from every ethnicity and every race and so mm-hmm. it's disheartening to me to see people you know just kind of like constantly like pour on this idea that uh, law enforcement agencies are broken, that they're systemically racist, and then they wonder why they can't hire, you know, minority people. Well, how are you going to hire minority people Mm -hmm. to a system, in your words, that is systemically racist? Like, how how do you expect to to do that then? I mean, it makes literally no sense to me, but... you know, and, and so I think leaders need to stand up against that. Like leaders within the police departments need to stand up against that and say, no, this, the, law enforcement is not systemically racist. It is, it isn't. They need to push back against that, ver- like out in front, verbally right. pushing it back against that. They need to be pushing it back, at back against the social justice movement. And they, they need to say, we don't align with any social justice movement or any movement for that matter. 
Like law enforcement determines if laws are being broken and not, I'm, I'm talking about laws that are, are established through le- legislator that are moral laws, um, you know, are being broken and enforce them, period. Like who the person is, how they look, uh, how they define themselves, anything like that. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't matter like that. It shouldn't matter. Right. Um, it's just, is, is this law being, uh, broken or not? And then leaders also need to demand high character integrity out of their officers. And if, and if, um, they do something that is unbecoming or outright illegal, uh, they need to be willing to hold their officers accountable. I don't know how I got on this tangent with the whole promotion of leadership, but or promotion of law enforcement, but I, I just think leadership is something I do, I am critical of, but good leaders hold people accountable. That's, that's really one of the ways you can promote law enforcement is by having good leaders who hold people accountable, not a micromanager, uh, but not you know, absent either. Um, you know, your hardworking good officers will appreciate that. Uh, you know, and, and as I was, as I was thinking about this, um, this, this week leading up to recording this, I was thinking about, you know, I made so many mistakes as a, as a supervisor, as a sergeant, but some of the best encouragement I ever got as a sergeant came from some of the guys on my unit. The last two years I was on the job, some of the guys on that unit, um, you know, they, they were doing like, basically they were, you know, doing some background work on me before I came over the unit. And they were asking guys on my previous shift, you know, what they thought of me, um, or these officers volunteered information. Uh, but one, one officer, you know, told one of the guys on the unit that, um, you know, I was terrible. Like I was just a terrible supervisor. And for that guy on my unit, that was actually a good sign. And he told me this later, many months later, um, because he's like, if this guy is complaining about him, then that probably means he's going to be good because he's holding someone accountable that was not considered a, a, uh, a uh, very sought-after officer. I'll just put it that way. You know, an officer who, who, you know, was not always, you know, was not, he was not a great officer, you right. know, he, he wasn't a terrible officer, but he was also not a great officer. And, and so, so that meant so much to me. And, and I think people in leadership need to be willing to, uh, to do that. You know, you're gonna, you're not going to be able to be friends with everybody, but try to support and gain the respect of the people that work for you. So anyways, promoting law enforcement. Yeah. I.e. through good leadership, I think is is uh something important for me. But all that to say for me personally, this year away from law enforcement and doing this podcast, I think just really helped me uh raise my level of humanity. Um, not my faith in humanity. I've said that a couple times, but I really don't have faith in humanity. Um, well, <laughs> but I, it's I it's raised it. my level of of personal humanity mm-hmm. towards other people. Um, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think if we if we put our faith in humanity, that's 
it's going to humanity's going to fail us over and over and over again and it it always has and it always will but but yeah like you're being able to hear other officers you know who who do have a more empathetic bent like to to listen to them and to listen to people who've come on who have experienced major life change like that yeah that's right. that's really it's really been good for you and you've been in because you've been outside of the job you've had the mental space to to actually like process all of that and you don't have to go back tomorrow and you know worry about being okay and just go from call to call to call like you you've you've been able to have the mental and emotional time and space to to process all that and have yeah. it yeah have it affect you in a really positive way yeah no it's definitely been really really nice to have a break and it's made me wonder if there is a way um to try to incorporate those breaks in for guys in law enforcement um you know i've i've thought about it a lot like is there a way you know you have pastors they get sabbaticals every 2 years or every 3 years whatever their church has a set up you have other um i'm trying to think of any other i don't know that there's any other uh, profession or or ministry or anything like that that has a break like that the military does like military if if you're in a combat zone you could be there uh, a year 18 months maybe more but then you you you're you're pulled out and you have some sort of break um there's there's just no break for these guys right. i mean they have vacation time and stuff but it, it i it's almost like you would need to create something in their contracts that says you know every two or three years you get a two month sabbatical paid sabbatical and you and here's where the tricky part is you'd have to tell them they cannot work overtime you you mm. you know right they need but to if, be truly I, off and off, having a break like yeah. you literally are not in here right. at all right you're off yeah. Um, well, yeah. And I know like every time, even when we would have a longer chunk of like, I think there were times when, you know, you might have had two weeks off at a time. Um, but it, it by the time you were like getting into that second week, like you were just starting to like actually truly relax and yeah. be fully present at home. And, and then you got to go right back to work. Right. And then if you're in that second week, you know, you might you might be like as as relaxed as you can get yeah. for mm-hmm. three, four days, but then you start gearing up mentally right. to go back in. Right. Um and and it's not even it's not even a conscious thing conscious thing. You're you're right. subconsciously doing it. Um but yeah, it's just made me think about, you know, would that be beneficial for police departments, for the mental health of officers, and therefore overall affect the police department in a positive way and legally i i don't know if you could you know tell guys you may not work overtime or limit uh, it at least because that's that's what no i none yeah it, like i really think better none. yeah um and and uh, you know of course guys have to be living within their means then um but you know get some secondary employment go do something else when you're off still getting paid by the police department but i don't know it, it's just something I've I've thought about uh, because many times when I was off for a week or two, I went in and worked overtime. Then there yeah, was such sometimes. a need for overtime, yeah. especially now. 
Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. So, you know, but anyways, yeah. Having the break for me personally was really good. Uh, you know, being completely out of that Mm -hmm. world. Um, and then, you know, having different officers on the show who had different levels of empathy, having past criminals on the show who had had different lifestyles and come out of it and had been saved and turned their lives around. Um, yeah, it's just been good for me. It's just kind of, again, raised my level of humanity, uh, which has been, which has been a, uh, a good thing. Um, but I got a taste, I got a taste of it the other day and I liked it. I got a taste of a little law enforcement action the other day. That's true. But you also, yeah, yeah, you did. But you also like had, uh, like I, as you were telling me the story, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is next level, uh empathy for anthony anyways like this is it's a good story it's really yeah well i think well yeah i should break down the story but i before i do that i will say this thinking back through it i think there were specific reasons i did what i did um what's what's funny to me and humorous when i i i was at a you know you and i were at an event the other the other night a uh a little party that one of the guys had and um i was talking like a there was a bunch of people there that are still on the job and I was talking to guys telling them this story and they were cracking up because I was all fired up about it. And it's literally like, it's not that big of a deal. But for me, having not done any type of confrontational type thing, um, you know, dealing with uh, a, a person of the public who is engaged in some level of crime, um, like it was, it was like, all right. Like I was like, okay, I, I still got something. something. <laughs> I still got some gas in the tank. But anyway, so here here's the story. And just you interject uh as you as you want. So Lauren's working at the store uh for for me for a couple hours so I can watch our son's soccer game a couple Saturdays ago. A man and a woman come in there and um the woman ends up stealing um, you know. worth of uh, items from the store. And um, I didn't notice it for several days. And then when I realized there was a problem with inventory, I went back, looked at video um, and, and found, you know, this woman uh, stealing stuff. And um, so I was putting everything together to make a police report. I was getting stills. I was cutting the video down. I was saving it. Like, Basically, I was trying to do everything I could to make it as easy as possible for the police officers because I used to be the guy that would go to retail thefts and they wouldn't have the video, they wouldn't have the stills, they wouldn't know what was taken, uh, they just knew something was taken and it was just like this huge, like, it was just a lot of work when like I was like, I'm going to have this nice, neat little package, I'll, I'll actually even like pretty much write the report for them. I'll, I'll, I'll type out a written statement for right. them that they can just, right. you know, attach to their report, like just make it as easy as possible. So I look up as I'm getting this together and here is this woman um, standing in front of me. The very next week. The very next week, she's standing in front of me. Like I'm literally in the middle of putting all this together and she's standing in the store in front of me. And the crazy thing was I didn't see her come in because we were super busy and she had been in the store for like 10 minutes before I realized she was there. At one point she was hiding in the back of the store because all the customers had left. So she didn't, and I didn't know she was in the store because there's like a blind corner there. So I see her 
And I'm like, this is the woman. So she walks out of the store and I'm like, well, I'm going to confront her about last week. And I know for a fact that she has more, more of our stuff. So I go out of the store, confront her. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not yelling at her. I'm not doing anything crazy, like calling her names or cursing at her or anything, but I'm confronting her. Right. And, um, and it's so funny watching people's reaction to this. Like this, this is exactly what I talk about on this episode. Sometimes people, they see something that makes them uncomfortable. They just, they, they just, they just want to mm-hmm. get away from it. Yeah. I think and uh, most people probably feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm right outside the door. I'm confronting her uh, in a in very pointed way. Um, you know, I'm telling her that I know absolutely she stole from me, uh, you know, the previous Saturday. I'm asking her what's in your bag right now. Her reaction tells me that she definitely has some of our stuff in her bag. And um, I'm basically telling her, you don't even think about running from me. You know, that would be a big mistake. Um, And so like these ladies are in the store and they want to pay for stuff. And I'm talking like very refined women. Like, you know, they're like, you know, I don't know, probably in their 50s, 60s. And they're, you know they they're they're waiting to pay for stuff and i'm out the store you know just barking at this woman and uh they come out and they're like oh we can we can come back and i said no 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 you know no no absolutely not you like you're here to buy stuff like you're gonna get it so i go in the store and i tell this this lady this the lady who committed the theft i i I basically made her stand in a corner she stood in a corner for me for like probably a half hour because we were so busy. I would like get, get after about it. And then I take care of customers. So like, I would be like talking to her and figuring out. And she's like, she's like begging me to work with her and all this and that. And, um, I told her, I said, this is me working with you. I'm giving you an option. You, your option is you, you make us whole, you pay me back for what you stole last Saturday. By the way, she, she had stolen a whole bunch more stuff. She, she, took that out of her bag. So I had that back from what she had stolen that moment. And then um, I said, you, you can either pay me back for what you owe. This is the dollar amount you owe or return those items. Like this is me working with you. And she was getting like snippy with me. And I, I like, I was like, no, that that's not how this works. You don't get to be mad at me because you made a decision to steal from the store. And, uh, so I'm so busy. I'm like, if I call the police, I can't even make a report right now. Um, she's doing everything I asked her to do. She's literally stood in a corner for a half hour and let me bark at her. She's let me take her photograph. Uh, she let me take a picture of her. Um, she gave me a name and then I said, okay, now give me your real name. So I got closer to, I was still wasn't sure if I had the real name, but I got closer to it because she changed her name. So I'm like, I feel pretty good about where we're at. Like, even if she doesn't, and I gave her a week, I think to return everything or pay me back. And I said, this is me working with you, right? This is your chance to make it right. And gave her my word. I said, I didn't, I haven't called the police. I won't call the police. If you return everything, if you return everything, we're we're good. Like, yeah, we're good. So once you know it, the next day, the next day, she came back and returned all the items she had stolen the week prior. 
And uh, she broke down crying. She asked me for forgiveness. Um, I expressed to her that this is what grace looks like. This is called grace. And she said to me, I know what grace is. I'm a Christian. So I don't know where she's at. I don't know her heart. But obviously there's, there's something, something there. And, and uh, I have no reason to, uh, you know, not accept that at face value and believe that she's, you know, what do you, you know, you have a really good saying about justification and sanctification. Your justification is immediate uh, when it comes to putting your faith uh, in God through Jesus. Sanctification is an ongoing life process. Um, so I don't know where, where she's at. I, you know, taking it at face value, she's obviously at a very messy part of sanctification, if, if that's what's going on. But, you know, how, you, you, uh, you were talking to the kids the other day about justification or sanctification. How did you? Mm. Oh, it's not really original. It's from my, I don't know. I mean, it's I'm, from my Baptist roots, but uh, justified, like I remember hearing that explained. Um, justified means I'm just, it's just, um, just if I'd never sinned. So when, when Jesus saves me, I'm, it's justice, justified, never sinned. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it was just a good way to explain it to the kids and have them remember that big word. Right. What it means. And sanctification is the ongoing process of, of God's work in our life. Uh, as Christians, after we're being justified, to live out, right. you know, what He's called us to, um, and to live out our our faith in Him. Right. So I don't know where she was. It was it was cool. Like I I was shocked that she brought everything back. Yeah. Um. I was shocked that she asked for forgiveness. Not not I'm sorry, but like I want yeah. you know, to forgive me for stealing from the store, um, and uh. Yeah, it was it was uh it was cool. It was cool for me because like I got that feeling and I was telling like the guys were like making fun of me. Like it's a retail theft. But I got <laughs> that feeling. This would have been the bane of your existence two <laughs> <know>. years ago. <laughs> yeah, had I been called <laughs> right. for a retail theft two years ago, I'd be like, do I really have to right. take this retail theft? I want to do something exciting, you right. know. Um but for me, having not like been out of that for so long, yeah. like there was like this okay, all right, you know, this, like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And again, it, it was like a, a female, but, um, you know. Oh, ladies be crazy. You never they, know. They do. <laughs> Dude, I've been, like, in some knockdown, drag out fights with women. I know. And they are vicious. They will Can scratch be. you and they will, like, Can be. pinch you. Oh, man. I've been in some. Actually, the only person that ever spit on me was a lady. Oh. She spit on me. That's sad. Man. Actually, a teenage girl. That's sad. And I did. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, that was hard. That was one of those where you, like, I literally had to talk myself out of, you know, getting rough, getting, getting too rough. I was so mad. Spit right on my head. But, anyways, <laughs> so she, yeah, she, um, yeah, she returned everything and it was, uh, you know, yeah, I just had that feeling again, like, okay, I'm going to confront this person. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And I also, the dude wasn't with her, the dude that mm. when they were in the store yeah. with you. So I was like, is the dude waiting out here? Like, am I going to have to deal with him then too? Like, you know, but it all worked out. Yeah. It, it's a, 
it got me all fired up again. I was like, all right, I still got some in the tank. I still got some in the tank to go after retail theft, people. <laughs> there you go. This is your new calling. <laughs> no, it is cool. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you came home and told us the story at dinner that night, it was it was really cool to see. Like, I, I don't think you would have had um, the energy the the emotional like space to respond in the same way like if you were on the job if you had just shown up and taken that call like nor would it have have been your job at at that point like your job would have been to to deal with that and to arrest her and or you know whatever whatever you needed to do but it was really cool to to see you come at it from a different place because you weren't coming at it from the place of a police officer right um, you know you're you're the you're the manager and, you know, you, you were able to extend grace to her in a different way. And, and you had, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's been awesome to see the way God's used this season to just give you some rest, give you some peace and just, yeah, give you a, give you a shot of empathy, like in your, into your heart and that, yeah, you just didn't, you literally didn't have, have time for before, like you Right. Yeah, in the same way, because of how you did the job and because of where you were, and so it, 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 that was really cool to hear. I mean, I I was like, "What? <laughs> you did what? Like, whoa, that's that's crazy." But but also awesome. And then for you to text me the next day and say she's back and she returned everything, like praise God, like that's awesome. Like, I just I hope and pray that God continues to use your interactions with her even now that they're finished, um, to just, to, to turn, to turn her yeah. onto a new path to really, hopefully that really did something for her heart. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, in a rough, uh, rough life in the middle of a rough life. Um, but, uh, I've seen her pass the store several times. One of these days I'll actually step out and and talk to her and ask her how she's doing. But, um, you know, we've given her a little breathing room because <laughs> I think my interaction with her was, it was, uh, it was pretty, I mean, it was intense. Like I was pretty intense right. with her. Like you weren't just going to give no, no like, consequence. But I made you her gave... stand in a corner, like a child. Yeah. Like I was not right. like, she was not going to just do that. And, right. but it was just super interesting to see some people in the store. They wanted nothing to do with it. They just wanted to leave so uncomfortable just wanted to get out right and i had i literally had one guy one guy make eye contact with me and be like you good yeah. like thumb he he gave me a thumbs up i'm yeah. like i'm good i'm good yeah like it was just so interesting yeah. most how, of us aren't wired that way yeah at all um, i'm not yeah there's no. been a few times where you've you've uh, thrown down and, and i'm like okay goodbye <laughs> Not thrown down, Not but thrown like down. Never... you've gotten, you've like gotten a little, you know, I don't know. You've you've either confronted a situation that that needed to be, or uh, or just you know responded aggressively to someone who was not you know doing, what, just acting weird. And I'm like, okay, see you later. Uh, yeah, but and 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 in defense of police officers in that situation if if they're called to a situation like that that's their job like they have to yeah. they have to Absolutely. arrest um if if the person who's calling is reporting a crime yeah. and and wishes to be a victim that's going to come to court and say no this person like Absolutely. Yeah, they they don't they don't have they actually don't have as much uh 
room right. as I did as as just the exactly. manager of the store. Like I had way more options actually than than right. what they would have. Um, but yeah. And like Alex said a, a few you know weeks ago when she was on, like it isn't necessarily the kinder thing to do to extend grace and to let people off the hook. That isn't necessarily good, probably most of the time. Right. Um, you know, particularly for for the police, like they 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 are there to do a very specific job um, that that needs to be done. Um, but yeah, it was just really cool to to have you be in a different capacity, able to just just even have the time to think through. I mean, I know you were busy that day, but it's you know not not the same as like having your radio going off. And I, I would imagine it's just different than yeah, you know, having other calls waiting. And yeah, you just definitely. It, it was just it was cool. It was really it was really cool to to see that whole story unfold. Yeah, and definitely my experience played into it. Like right. she was doing what I told her to do. Yeah, she. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, initially did not want me to take her picture. And I said, no, that's, that's not how this works. I said, if we're going to develop some level of trust here that, you know, you're going to bring stuff back, right. then I get to take your picture. Right. I want a good quality picture. Um, and so she let me do that. Um, I believed I was getting a partial name. Um, I, I think she did give me her real name um, the second time. Um, so, you know, I was, I was, working through it like i was still in right. law enforcement but um yeah i just had more options right and, and uh yeah it was just it was like this idea of consequences like basically i was giving her natural consequences right. for her actions yeah which was a level of grace and had she not followed through and i called the police and they right. charged her that's still that's a consequence but it's also it's also a grace yeah like it it you know, to to be held accountable for something and possibly have that cause a change of behavior is is a grace. Right. You know, and we don't think like that. We think like we think that grace is letting person the person get away right. with or the child get away with or whatever. Right. Um, get away with what they're doing. Well, a grace may be holding them accountable. Right. You know, yeah, absolutely. Or just being in something hard this, that came up the other night. Um, at at our Bible study, um, where the the people like the uh, um, the woman who had the the bleeding issue, like mm-hmm. like that that trial for like twelve years, like had she not been in that situation, she wouldn't have had the encounter that she had with Jesus. So that in and of itself, that trial was a grace because it brought her to Jesus and gave her this encounter that she would never have had otherwise. Right. So yeah, we don't we don't think that way. No, we don't. We 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 often view these things in light of our humanness and what feels good, what seems right. nice, you know. Right. You know. Yeah. And and so yeah. So I shared that story just because um, you know, it's a fun story to share, but also there I think there's some truth in that story that directly relates to some of the things I've talked about here in season one. And we'll probably continue to talk about in season two. Right. This week's Kicking Up the Dust in Pursuit goes to a past crime victim, now survivor, who back in 2007 was beaten and scalded by his mother when he was one year of age. 
uh, which caused some pretty horrific injuries uh, to him. I want to protect his identity and not say too much about him, but he is currently a teenager and attends a local high school. He's doing well. And recently, he tracked down the Lancaster City Police Detective, that being Detective Chris DePato, uh, who I actually worked with and enjoyed working with. And uh, he thanked uh, Detective DePato for his work on the case. Listen, this kid tracked down uh, a retired detective, found his phone number, and reached out to him and thanked him and, and told him that he's uh, and told Detective DePato that he's doing well, he's attending school, he's playing sports. He thanked Detective DePato for doing his job, uh, which ultimately helped him. It got him removed from uh, an unfit mother and uh, got him placed with an adoptive family. Uh, Detective DePato doing his job helped change this boy's life. Uh, for sure, Detective DePato kicked up the dust in this case, but I wanted to point out how this teenager is kicking up the dust uh, with thankfulness, reaching out to thank those that helped him and also kicking up the dust after being a survivor and not defined by what happened to him. Um, so yeah, cue the dip winner is this is this teenage boy now, a uh, survivor of a horrific event who sought out, found uh, Detective DePato's phone number, called him, thanked him uh, for, for taking part in changing his life. Um, and, and I kind of just wanted to like talk a little bit about that idea between a victim and survivor mentality um, and uh, and how, you know, sometimes, like not sometimes, a lot of times in our culture right now, we're assigning victimhood to the wrong people um, or I don't want to say the wrong people. We're, we're just allowing people to assign that title to people in order to like uh, place people in certain categories and groups to gain power or, um, you know, have an excuse for doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, did you have any thoughts on that, Lauren? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things we talked about um, last year with a couple of a few, a few of the major um, stories that came out regarding police officers and where the media would, you know, leap to point out that the officers had used too much force or had, you know, or that racism was, you know, at the, at the, um, um, at the core, right, of, right. of them getting involved in the first place. And almost all, so many of them, um, when, you know, you and I would watch, specifically when I watched, um, like, like one that comes to mind for sure is uh, Jacob Blake. Um, you know, and he, in the media's eyes, like he's a victim. Um, and I remember saying to you, like, <laughs> he's there because someone called 911 in fear of her life and probably in fear of her children's lives. So like, where, where's the Me Too people? Like, you know, he, he was assaulting her. Like, we, we've, we've gotten this so completely backwards. We're so, so, con so convinced that white officers are just out hunting down black men that we've assigned victimhood to completely the wrong person in this scenario. And, and for sure, he was committing criminal activity and the, the police were in the right there. Right. Um, but that's just one, you know, example of so many times, I think, you know, at least where it pertains to the police um, that and to law enforcement that we get we get 
the victim, um, we we miss a sign who right. is the victim. Yeah, and I, forget you know that there's uh, the police are there to deal with this person because somebody else called nine one one. Right, there there are actual victims, but it's it's not the perpetrator of the crimes, which is why the police are even there at all. Right. Yeah, I I remember when you when you first uh, brought that up to me, I was I was actually even, um, you know, kind of I kind of pulled back um, and had some conviction there because so many times as a police officer, you get so focused on the suspect and how the police are being treated in that that you literally the victim, the true victim in the case is kind of lost is in the background. And I remember when you were talking to me about that, because, you know, I was upset for the whole Jacob Blake incident, you know, the officers ended up uh, shooting him and, and, uh, you know, it was completely justified shooting. It's been found yeah. to be a justified shooting and, uh, all these things about, yeah, Jacob Blake, like yeah. he was, he was not a good nope. guy. He was like a criminal um, I think he had even sexually assaulted this woman yeah. in the past and, yeah. and he was trying to gain entry into a vehicle where the kids were at right. and he grabbed a knife when he was trying to get in the car and they had tried teasing him and that didn't work, you know, so completely justified shooting. And I got so focused on the fact that, you know, they're trying to, you know, make Jacob Blake to be out as a victim and, you know, carrying on the case of the law enforcement officers and you, you brought this up and I was like, wow, you, you're right. Like you, you tend these, this is why one of the reasons why BLM is so terrible because it for, it pushes people to purely Mm -hmm. look at things in a, like categorize people into silos. Mm-hmm. So you have Jacob Blake, who I don't believe is a victim, but BLM believes a victim. And then I have police officers who I believe are the victims in this case because they're being mistreated. Um, and then you have someone like you who's on the outside saying, well, what about the actual victim in this case? And I just thought it was such a pointed comment um, and really helped me. I think that was actually one of those like really important times since I've retired where I was like, yeah, how many times have I actually, you know, not uh, put as much thought or work into working for the actual victim of a crime and been too concerned with the suspect and, and myself or law enforcement in general. And I just thought that was a really good uh, point. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, in, in your defense, like when you're there on the job, like your primary, you're, you're there to go after whoever's breaking the law. So that, that is your, your primary reason for, for being there and, and for, you know, being on any call is, is to go get whoever is breaking the law. Right. So, you know, I don't, I don't even think it's, yeah, it, it just was like glaringly obvious, you know, for a few different cases last year that that were making major news and were being held up as examples, you know, of of how just racism is rampant within law enforcement and, you know, yeah. Right. So it's you're right. It's it's incredibly dangerous anytime we embrace any ideology that only that that classifies people you know, by anything other than we're, we're human beings, we're made in the image of God, we start there. Like if we're not starting there, we're starting 
anywhere else. And we're just grouping people into these groups and we're saying these these people are all victims, you know, regardless of what they're doing right now. They're they're just victims. And these people are all oppressors, regardless of what of what they're doing right now, just based on right. history or whatever. Like that's that's dangerous because then you can have someone like like Jacob Blake who's who's doing evil things and harming people. Right. Like, it, that didn't matter. He's, no, it he didn't. just gets to be a victim. End of story, period. And he may have been a victim of terrible things in his life. That is totally possible. And he may need help and he may need compassion. But in that moment, he's he is the perpetrator of crimes against other innocent people. And that's what should matter to us. Right. And we need to deal with that first. Like you can't you can't go back and address all of his history first. You've got to deal with his crimes and start there. And then hopefully he will get the help he needs because for sure there are probably reasons why he is the way he is. Um, but that is. But that doesn't negate personal responsibility, correct. decisions he made. And, and in that moment, the fact that he was victimizing. Right. And, and, and I the think police that police needed to be there. Right. The police need to be there and deal with it. Yeah. And it, again, it's one of those, those situations too where. You know, he he's still being lionized. Yeah. Like he is still considered a victim of police brutality. Um, many people think that he was like shot and that he shouldn't have been shot. Yeah. Um, it blows my mind. And, and 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 it's crazy, to, you know, and you brought up a good point, too, about the whole Me Too movement, another social justice movement, the Me Too, Me Too, Me right. Too. And where were they for yeah. this this lady, the actual victim who called the police? Right. And needed help or right. someone called on her behalf. And um, I think I don't quote me on this, but I think he actually had an outstanding warrant for some of the things he had done to her in the past at that I incident. I think you're right, which but, is why I think police sh- used. Right. Like they were extra cautious around this guy because I, I'm pretty sure you're right. Right. But he, you know, he's been been lionized. And, um, you know, I I think, too, it just. What's disheartening to me is when you look at our society right now, and I think you can look at the health of a society and one of the, not the only, but one of the notifications um, for the health of a society or one of the measuring sticks for the health of a society is who do they lift up and lionize? And, um, you know, I've been talking to you recently about reading this book or, yeah, reading a book by Eric Metaxas called... He has one called Seven Great Men, and I think the one I'm reading um, or listening to, because reading makes me fall asleep immediately, but <laughs> listening to is Seven More Great Men. Yeah. And he has all, each chapter is about seven different great men in American history. And one of them is George Washington Carver. And so George Washington Carver has a monument set up to him. He has a monument um, set up on like, I, th- I think it's over like 200 acres of land. And I want to say it's in Missouri. Um, so he, he was recognized soon after he died for who he was and his contribution to um, America and society as a whole. And fast forward, like he died um, in the 1940s. I think he died during World War II. Um, we are setting up statues and and monuments to George Floyd. And we set up a monument and a statue for George Washington Carver because of how he lived, 
right. and what he did in his life and what he gave back to society. Right. And, and you cannot listen to his story and not be inspired. You cannot listen to the story about George Washington Carver and not be inspired. And in 2020, 2021, we're setting up a monument to, and a statue to George Floyd. And what I'm not saying is that he deserved to die for his crime of theft. Right. But he has a monument and a statue assigned to him because of how he died, because he is perceived as a victim, not because of how he lived, not because of right. what he did for other people, what he contributed to society, uh, you know, the good that he did but because he died and he's a victim. Right, because if you compare his life and what he did to, to, to George Washington Carver, like they're, they're completely different. Like one, yeah. one is marked by, like you said, by, by just brilliance and giving back to society and inventions and just and a hardship. model, a model citizen. Yeah, yeah. And spite, hardship. Correct, in spite of coming from yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, George Washington Carver, you know, again, I'm not a George Washington Carver expert now that I listened to like uh, uh, one chapter in one book about him, but he was born into slavery. Um, you know, just a little bit about he was born into slavery. He um, so his his the family that were his slave owners, the 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 man in that home, the husband Moses Carver, was actually against slavery. He did not agree with the whole slavery aspect, but his wife really wanted a servant girl to help her at the house. So he relented, brought this slave girl in to help his wife, and um, and uh, uh, bought like I think he bought her, if I remember correctly, he bought this slave girl to help his wife. And she ended up getting married and, you know, having children and, and they had, you know, this black family on their property that were helping them. And George Washington Carver, who at the time didn't have the Carver name, was, was a little boy. Um, Moses Carver was the white man who, like, owned this uh, home, this plantation, whatever it was. and. Um, so some some kidnappers uh, came, kidnapped the entire uh, black family, um, including George Washington Carver, and they ended up getting away. But they, uh, at the time, George Washington Carver was pretty young, and they just ended up handing him off to someone. Um, Moses Carver, the white uh, the white man in this situation, actually hired someone to go after and try to recover them and save them. Uh, they were never, I don't think they were ever found. Only George Washington Carver was found. Um, he had been handed off to some some people in a town or whatever, and they brought him back. And Moses Carver, the white man, and his wife uh, basically adopted George Washington Carver as their son um, and, and raised him. Um, and uh, George Washington Carver actually took, took his name then at some point later in his life. But that was just at the end of the Civil War. Uh, slavery was ending. George Washington Carver still was seen, you know, as he tried to get himself through school, 
um, yeah. and college, he was seeing like atrocities that were being uh, committed, and um, he had he had every yeah right in in our terms right. in our societal terms right now to claim a level of victimhood yeah absolutely and just you know become uh, bitter upset. Uh, yeah. He had every right because right. he saw some terrible things. He was denied some things. He right. had a really hard time getting in school, but he he relented and and kept working. And he was able to go to school, go to college, um, and just became a very influential person in American history. Um, even appeared before Congress at one time uh, to tell them about all his inventions uh, in regards to. He did a lot of work with. Um, uh, agriculture, helping farmers, yeah. talking to them about you know crops and how to make their crops better, and he was um, obviously well known for all like do you the know peanut. how many the peanut? <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many different I don't things remember. He, in, he invented? But I remember learning about him. Yeah, yeah, cool. he invented so many things that you could do with the yeah. peanut, and he was actually invited to Congress, which at the time would have been made up of all white men, right, to speak to Congress, and he was at the end of the day, they thought it would just be like a couple minutes. And he started talking to Congress, and they were so taken with him. He he spent like an hour and a half talking to them, and they asked him, where have you learned all these things? And he's like, from a book. And they said, what book? And he said, the Bible. So he used the Bible to like guide his scientific processes. It's amazing. To like learn about crops, learn about agriculture, yeah. learn about plants, learn about... I remember that. And... and so I listened to this and I was like, it, it was amazing to me. Right. It was so inspiring. A guy who had so much trauma in his life, had seen so many things go wrong, had been sinned against so many times and refused to claim victim status and, and, like it, it's just so inspiring to me, and a guy like that has a monument and a statue to him, as he should. Right, right, and deservedly. In our day and time, we're putting a monument up to George Floyd, right, whose life was marked by crime, just crime. Yeah, by by sinning against other people repeatedly. And, right. Yeah. And it's not to say that he never did anything good. No. But he did not. But it didn't define his life. No, good good did not define his life. Right. Good in our human terms did not right. define his life. And yet we lionize him because of how he died, because he's a victim. We lionize him because he's a victim. We lionize George Washington Carver because he's he was a survivor. Um yeah. and I just think there's you know, I think that's a, a good it's a good thing for us to talk about and and kind of wrestle with. Like, why are we doing that? Why is our culture lifting up people who have claimed victim status instead of lifting up people who are who are surviving? Like, there are so many men who you know have done so much better than uh, George Floyd, who don't have monuments, who don't have statues to them. Um, you know, and won't when they die. I, I just think it's a it's a uh, it's a mark on our culture right now. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't it isn't helping us. It isn't helping us heal from the divisions and the atrocity atrocities of the past, and um, it isn't helping our young people. You know, 
feel like there's hope for the future. It's, we're, we're telling them that we're irrevocably divided and, right. you know, that, yeah. yeah, that some of us are just always going to be victims and some of us are always going to be oppressors. That's, there's no way forward. There's no hope in that. Right. Yeah. There, there, there isn't. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much more strongly I can denounce the whole BLM social justice movement. There is no hope in it. It is a ever, a never ending, uh, hamster wheel of, of, uh, identifying people in different victim categories. And the more categories you can get assigned as victim, uh, the better off you are to be able to ascertain uh, something. There is no, it, it does not promote any uh, level of forgiveness. It doesn't promote any level of uh, survivor, being a survivor. You know, I think that's so important. Um, everyone in their life, every single person in their life goes through difficult things. And you can either dis and and for sure, some people go through more difficult things than other people for sure. But you can decide what you're going to do with that. Like, are you are you going to claim victim status? Or are you are you going to, you know, rise above that? And and one way you can rise above that is through forgiveness and understanding what you deserve as a sinner and what God has done for you. Right. Absolutely. Yep. By the grace of God, all of us can can overcome what we've been through or what's been done to us. And yeah, God God can use it and we can we, we can see good come of it. And your your life is a testimony to that, Lauren. I mean, I know, you know, most people don't know your testimony, but your life is a testimony to that. And I think, you know, that's why you 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 can say those things that's that that's really why anyone can say like i know so many people who have been through so many difficult things and it comes down to you know we 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 still have a level of personal responsibility and that's the other thing that these social justice movements do is they want to alleviate personal responsibility and just make like blanket statements over groups of people and um you know, because it's not about equality, not about everyone having the same uh, ability to to try and do something, but it's about equity, where every single person deserves the same exact thing, regardless of what they do, regardless of their actions, regardless of their character, regardless of their integrity, they deserve the same based on how they look, how they identify. Um, you know, whatever their victim status is, and and that is yeah. it, it's disheartening. It's, it's hope, to me. and it's just hopeless. And even you know, even the as I remember, you know, even ten years ago, you 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 know, kind of wrestling with the way that the some the social justice movement was kind of creeping into the church, and just you know, these um, if if the main thing is not the gospel for a, for a church if the main thing is is good works um you know and and eradicate poverty and eradicate you know injustice eradicate any any racism any whatever. bad thing yeah. yeah that it how hopeless that is it's it's an it's a hamster wheel also but of uh, of a different kind of hopelessness because we we can never do enough we can never be enough we can never 
ask for forgiveness enough, like whatever the thing is we're going after to try to change or eradicate, like we can't, we're not God, we can't do it. And so it, it can only lead to despair for ourselves and for the, the people, if we're promising, like we're going to come, we're going to eradicate this and that, and right. like, we can't, we can't do it. And, and we should, we should do good works. We should, Absolutely. we should spend our lives in pursuit of of serving God and serving others because that's that's what Jesus did. Right. But we can't to to think that, you know, we're we're putting ourselves in the place of God and saying we're going to do this and and we can't it, it it's just it leads to despair. But to but to see the world in its fallen state and know that God one day will fix it brings hope. Right. Like, like we will do what we can, what God has equipped us to do, but we can't fix it. God will fix it someday. He will make it right. Jesus will come back. Like there's hope in that. And the gospel has such a better answer to every problem Amen. than we could ever possibly come up with with any social justice movement. Like, right. Yeah. 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 Good word. Good word. Thanks, babe. Um, all right. Finally, the final topic we'll talk on. Um, I feel like you and I could probably go rounds and rounds on that, that social justice movement. Uh, maybe we should have like a live episode in our living room <laughs> oh some night where no, just you, you and me and then like everyone just like listens. Actually, people would be. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that that <laughs> horse might be dead. Like it's time to move on. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyways. Um, yeah. So the next uh, the next thing that we've definitely been talking about a lot. Um, and when I first started out on this season, I stayed away from it, the whole COVID issue. Mm. I was like, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to talk about COVID. But here's the thing. It is, it is more increasingly and increasingly uh, more prevalent, I think, in law enforcement as something I need to talk about because what is law enforcement going to be called to do regarding it, regarding mandates? And, and Gary and I talked about that a little bit. But also, um, how is it affecting police departments? So recently, Seattle, Chicago, and now New York City, um, and I'm sure there's others, are moving forward in firing and or disciplining officers who aren't getting the COVID vaccine. Um, and that it, it's included like laying people off without pay um till they till they you know bend the knee um that type of thing um i i guess i just don't understand it i don't understand it Off, literally officers assume risk every single day um you 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 hire these officers to go out into communities and and face certain level of danger every single day and yet especially in these cities with some of the highest crime rates these officers are being asked to assume a level of risk that most people will never assume um, and never take on in their whole lives and now you're mandating this and you're losing officers while crime rises i it's nonsensical it's it's like hey we know that you got go out there and put your life on the line in a terrible atmosphere and do so and yet let's pile on another rule 
on top of you just to make your life more miserable and make it harder for you to do your job. Why? I don't know. It it does feel like there must be it 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 just feels like there has to be some agenda behind it because you can you can opt out. You can you can uh like whether we're talking school, work, whatever, like you know, you can you can have exemptions for every other vaccine. Right. Um, you know, men, and and many of the vaccines that are out there protect against much more dangerous diseases. Um, you know, so uh, most of them like I'm in favor of like, sure, like, let's, you know, we're, we're not anti-vaxxers. No. But, uh, but yeah, like that, I think that's what um, really boggles my mind with this is you don't, you don't, we don't have this level of coercion with any other vaccine. Like, so, so yeah, why this? Like, it just feels, it feels wrong. It feels like there's something sinister underneath it, you know, for there to be so much control with this one thing. Right. For, for a virus that is, 99% survivable. Right. Uh, like, I mean, some, some people say it's even yeah. more survivable than right. that. I'll just say 99% survivable. Yeah. And, and you know, police, police officers, they, they assume risk every day. And, and so they, you don't think they're not thinking about the risk assumed by whether I get COVID or whether I get the vaccine. Like, they're, they're, they're assuming risk every day. They are. I, I think the other thing, you know, because we, we lived through, um, you know, the first wave of COVID as a law enforcement family. And initially, when all the shutdowns happened, um, you know, uh, uh, the police, uh, you know, along with, with many others that obviously were considered essential. And so you were still out there like you weren't you weren't home. You weren't, you know, um, just sequestered safely in your homes. So, like, you've already assumed the brunt of the risk that came along with COVID, you know, when, when we were first, um, you know, when hospitals were to, at some places, like, filled, you know, and um, dealing with, with people that, that were, you know, um, yeah, again, but based on what we know now, probably high risk. And so, you know, really succumbing to those first waves. But um that's that's the other thing that just seems really odd about this and and just makes no sense like at this point in time every police officer had like if you've been on the job since 2020 you there's no way you haven't been exposed you know or had it so mild that you didn't know you had it or right. you know have like I had it and you never got it you know and yeah. there's no way you didn't you weren't exposed at work too because it went, right. it went through, you know, people at work and right. it just doesn't make sense. I just, I think, you know, with, with anything that feels like it's being forced down your throat and you can't make any logical sense of it or moral sense for that, for that matter, like, I just, I don't, I don't want to participate. Like it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. And, and as, as believers, like, I think they're, you know, I think a lot of confusion because because I talk about Romans 13 a lot on the podcast, you know, and that that is a submit to governing authorities, uh, you know, passage. Um, but that that is not like carte blanche, like the government right. doesn't have carte blanche, you know, re whether you're in a a, uh, a democratic republic, you have a constitution, regardless of what type of government you find even if you're in a government where you have a, a tyrannical king their their authority 
does not supersede into certain areas. Right. And and so what you see is you see people who are who are like legitimately struggling and asking a lot of questions like I don't there some of them are not even saying I will never get the vaccine. They're just saying I'm not sure about it right now. That's I where want, we're at. Yeah. Yeah, like I want I want the time to right. decide. Uh, I have some a uh, lot of questions about it. Right. I have a lot of questions ab- about the vaccine and why, if it's a vaccine, it's not protecting people. I have questions about um, some of the so-called science behind it. I have questions about why some states that are like wide open, their cases are better than ca- like states like Pennsylvania, which have pretty um, you know strict mandates right now. Uh, or more strict mandates than some other places, like, and their cases are rising. Like, it, yeah, it, like we, there's lots of questions, right? But the the issue is there's no room for people to ask questions. There, there's a, you know, you 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 need to do this, or you are like considered unclean. You're not. You're a part of the problem, right? And and that is super super dangerous. It is. I. I uh, I mean, we stumbled across this uh, handy little graphic the other oh, day. Man. Well, it I mean, I I saw it on Facebook, and it made me laugh out loud because and I, I think we were talking about this even before <laughs> you were, saw it. We were. Well, we were because you said the one night you were you had said, um, which I thought was was just so helpful in, you know, processing through, especially if you're still at a point. You know, we're all processing this at at some level, and we're all you know many of us are just at different places. And you know, if if we're processing from a point of of you know, this could be a good thing, this could help others, and I'm being told to do it, um, and I'm being told it's loving, and I'm being told it's kind. Um, and and you said, well, you know, a husband doesn't have just blanket control and authority over his wife and every aspect of her life right. and you know everything she does what she wears where she goes like you know if if we when we see that we we think okay that's either an abusive relationship or they're a part of a cult or like something is wrong there right um but we are basically saying it's okay for the government to say to us you must wear this thing you must put this into your body. You like, right? It, and it's it is a much different relationship. Like there is actually no relationship. It's just that the government does have some authority over us, but it isn't blanket, and and much less so than a husband, you know, as head of the home would have over his right. wife. Like, right? If you started to do those things to me, I would be calling people and being like. Stop me, right? Yeah, I need help. <laughs> this is not okay. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, then we, yeah, then we saw this. This, it, I mean, it's it's sad because it's a you know you may be in an abusive relationship if and it's this you right. know, chart. I have it up here. Go for it. it it's uh, it's it was put out by Workplace Mental Health Institute. It looks like, and, um, and it's a good chart. Yeah, it's a it's a good chart. It says you may be in an abusive relationship if they. And then it, it says like, you know, and I'm sure if you're on social media, you've already seen it, but probably, um, but s- someone crossed out relationship and said government. And here are just some of the things um, you may be in an abusive uh, relationship crossed out government. If they stop you from seeing friends and family, 
won't let you go out with permission, uh, tell you what to wear, monitor your phone or emails, control the finances or won't let you work, control what you read, watch and say, monitor everything you do, punish you for breaking the rules, but the rules keep changing, tell you it is for your own good and they know better than you, don't allow you to question it, tell you you're crazy and no one, uh, no one agrees with you. Uh, call you names and shame you for being stupid or selfish. Gaslight you, challenge your memory of events, make you doubt yourself, dim- d- dismiss your opinions, or play the victim if things go wrong. It's all your fault. And uh, yeah, so I mean, here, here's the thing. Like you need to think if, if we, like again, Owen Strayan and his podcast Antithesis, so good. And he talks about, we do, as believers, as Christians, we do everything that we can to fall under the authority of government. But we do everything that we can to fall under the authority of God as well. And so we we understand, and there's there's a biblical basis for this, that the government um, does not control all action in our lives. Right. You know, as people, definitely as believers, and... um, so, you know, like we, they, they don't, we have to decide every, I think every person has a different line. Yeah, absolutely. I think our line is more now, like for me personally, the government has no right to tell me what I put into my body. If the government came to me and said, um, every single, like, you know, Monday, you're going to drink pink lemonade. Okay, well, I I don't really want to drink pink lemonade. Uh, I'm in my intermittent fasting period right now, um, and I don't want to drink your pink lemonade. No, you don't understand. You have to. The government is mandating it. We would be like, well, that's ridiculous. But we don't say it's ridiculous when they're telling us you have to put something in your body that is literally still kind of in the experimental stages. You know, no one has. It hasn't been around for many years like the other vaccines. There's not a ton of studies. There's still a lot of questions about the virus in uh, the virus in general. And people are like, no, like, that's fine. Well, and, and, and then you have places too, like Israel, where the vast majority of the population is vaccinated and yet their, their COVID cases are through the roof. So it's, there's just so many questions that it's... Right. And... And when it relates to law enforcement, yeah. I think it's just so disheartening. You have guys who have literally given years and years and years, and gals, years and years in service, I don't want to be called a sexist, um, of service to these police departments. And um, they're being, they're, they're, their local government is trying to force them to do something against their will and is then punishing them. And saying, okay, you're not going to do it. Well, then you're fired. Okay, you're not going to do it. I'm going to, you're going to, you're off duty, unpaid. Yeah. And, and uh, recently I had a conversation with someone and they said, well, they're, they still are, uh, it's a choice. They have a choice. And I'm thinking to myself, that's an evil choice. That's like me coming up to you, Lauren, and being like, okay, here's your two choices. I can either cut off your left arm or your right arm. That's basically what these guys are being told. Like, you can either provide for your family. Or you can bend your knee and put this stuff in your body that you have an objection to putting in your body. Like, those are the two choices. That's evil. 
It's wrong. And it's happening in cities where crime is skyrocketing. Yep. And it's doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. And you almost have to ask yourself, is this what they want? They being who knows? Who knows who? (laughs) But it's it's just so disheartening. And and on top of that, and again, locally here, that's not happening. Mandates are not being uh, mandated yet. Do I think it's possibly coming? I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Uh, right now, Lancaster City on their website, you can find this right on the Lancaster City website. Um, they, you know, they're not mandating uh, vaccines, obviously, but they're requiring in all their buildings, including the police department, including the fire department, including the city hall, that if you if you are not vaccinated, that you have to wear a mask. And so my thing is, if you're in a building with people who are vaccinated, who've chosen to be vaccinated, why do you have to wear a mask? Right. You like, what think, does that say about the vaccination? Well, and you would think that the, you know, if, if, if it's to help other people, then the other unvaccinated people would be the most at risk. Like, they would all be at risk am- amongst they themselves. Be, <laughs> right. Right. For the most part. So, and, but they're all choosing that. Like, uh, I think, I think uh, the other, it's just crazy to think that we, first of all, can remove all risk and that we can remove our, our, our own, um, uh personal choice in in assuming risk like that you can just take that from people like that that's crazy to think that but right but you're right there's no it, it doesn't feel like there's good logic behind that and it also marks people which i really have a huge problem with right. like it is like the scarlet letter of the day like masks you know it's yeah. it's so like, I, I don't think it's healthy i don't think it helps the system helps us as a society right so you because if you go so if you go in Lancaster city if you go into a city-owned building um like the police department or any of the fire department uh fire department houses um city hall whatever and you see someone wearing a mask right yes obviously like the vaccinated people can choose to wear a mask if they want to but most likely right. if you see someone wearing a mask you can think to yourself oh they're not vaccinated. It just creates more it creates division. division. Yeah. It creates it's like this helpful. barrier. It creates like this um, you know, almost like a punitive thing, like, hey, you're not vaccinated, we're gonna wear a mask. And then if you ask the question, okay, I'm in a building with everyone who's chosen to be vaccinated is is vaccinated, and you're forcing me to wear a mask, so like what I just don't understand if if the people are vaccinated, right? It should at least lower their risk. Like, like there's why like, do I still have to wear right, a mask? It, I mean, just like with the flu vaccine, like there's still a chance you're going to get it, but it should at least lower lower your your risk. And um, if you get it, it should be more mild. Like right. So so yeah, your like your point still still stands. Like there should be still less risk to the to the vaccinated. Yeah. Um. It but do, I but there's no sense. room to ask those questions. No. That's my thing. Like right. you have guys who assume a level of risk every single day. Officers who assume a level of risk every single day that is far above and beyond what most people assume. Right. But you're going to force them to do this to 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 wear a mask or to get a vaccine and if they don't 
like like some of these cities they're yeah. firing them they're putting them on unpaid leave they're opening disciplinary uh processes on them it kills morale it kills morale and it's helping in lots of happening in lots of other fields too yeah like, like the, the health, medical field yeah the medical field yeah. i mean that's another field it's that really ma- literally makes no sense you yep. have people who worked through an entire pandemic before right. there was a vaccine right did what they had to do yeah help save people lot people's lives did so much now we're punishing them and now we're saying personal medical choices and they're medical people yeah some of these medical people are saying i am not comfortable getting the vaccine right and it's like you don't have a choice it's just really sad right and it, it's, it's crazy it, yeah so i don't know all that to say is this podcast supports law enforcement and and they assume risk every single day if they don't want to wear a mask and they don't want to get the vaccine they should be and same with the medical profession every profession yes any everywhere like they should be allowed to do their job and it should not come down to you forcing them to make a decision between putting food on the table or or uh or putting something in their body that they're not comfortable putting in your body. That's evil. It's evil. I'm yeah. straight up evil. It's not It's not biblical either. Like, And I do think, you know, if, if for people that might still be struggling with whether or not, you know, if it's for the common good, if it's for, you know, should, can the government tell me to do something? Like, can they control my body? Like, is that okay? Like, I think that the podcast that you mentioned is, is just a, such a good reference right. for that. I can't remember the, what the episode is antithesis i can't remember the exact episode but yeah. if you look up antithesis owen strayan um you know yeah just to great... help sort through it because yeah. these are unprecedented you know most of us had not right. have not had to sort through this kind of thing and, before. and i would like to point out um too that you know even even jesus when he was when he was on earth he he said render unto caesar what's caesar's and which, to god what's god's and to god what's god's so even in that statement you have Jesus saying Caesar doesn't control everything, right? And so we, as we as as Christians, right, um, and Americans, but also as Christians, especially, we need to decide like how much does the government control? Like, yes, I submit to government authorities, but they don't control everything, right? And so again, everyone's line's going to be different yeah. with what that is. Um, but you our, know, our bodies belong to God. Yeah. Yeah. Not not right. to Caesar. Right. And and um and then on on top of that, these these issues, these situations too are not sin issues and right. as believers um you know, as a body of Christ, as believers, we need to be willing to say it's not a sin issue and if you choose not to do this or not to do that, not to wear a mask or not to get the vaccine or you are or to get it, mm-hmm. you like, you're not less than. Right. There's nothing wrong with you. Um. You know. Uh. You know. My issue is there. You know, there tends to be a way that is considered right, and a way that's considered wrong. And in the church, that should not be. Right. It should be believers working through these issues. Uh. You know, as individuals and as families, drawing their conclusions and based on their conscience and what they what they believe they're being called to um and then everyone 
being able to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ yeah. and not um, not calling people out and saying, you're less than, you don't love, you're not kind, you don't care. Um, man, I'm tired of hearing that. Well, it's it's not, you said last night, it isn't kind you know, to force people to do something that's against their conscience. So if that's, if that's our argument in forcing people to get vaccinated because that's the loving thing to do, well, it's, it, it isn't loving. You're absolutely right. Like it's, it's not loving to force anyone to go against convictions and conscience. Right. So you're right. There has to be I, grace I mean, I, for falling on different, different, falling on different sides of a, of a conscience issue, which right. is, yeah, exactly where we're at. And I think that's, that's found in Romans 14, where if you start binding people's consciences or forcing them to violate their conscience, they then are actually sinning. They then are actually committing sin. And um, so, yeah, I, uh, you know, again, I, I stayed away from the COVID thing a lot at the beginning of the season. I've, I've been broaching it more and more. And as I saw, like, some of these police departments laying people off and firing people, it's wrong. Yeah, and it, it it's, is. It's going to only welcome more, uh, more, uh, crime and absolute debauchery into some of these cities uh and it's sad it's so sad to me because these officers have put so much of their lives into these careers and working for the community and even seattle like i saw a bunch of their first responders they went to city hall they all like laid their boots on the steps of city hall and then they served the homeless um a meal like out on the out on the street. And then I saw people saying they could be spreading COVID to the homeless. Oh man. I was like, That's you know so what? Sad. Yeah. It's just I'm, you know, it's just so disgusting to me. It's sad. And so disheartening that some of these officers and uh other first responders, medical people are losing their losing their jobs. So anyways, it's been great talking to you, babe. Closing out like uh Season one of Diagnostic Cops Calling. Um, and uh, I hope that it's been encouraging, challenging to people who have listened to it. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to a break. But I know, I know by the end of my break, I'll be, I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll be pretty uh, antsy to get behind the mic again and, and talk because um, uh, I've, I've enjoyed it. So... Um, I just wanted to close out here finally, uh, you know, some, with some somber news actually to close out the season. Uh, 75 officers have been murdered uh, so far this year. Please pray for their families. Uh, many of them have uh, just, you know, gone above and beyond, paid the ultimate sacrifice, definitely kicking up the dust moments. Pray for the family. 75 officers have murdered, been murdered so far this year. Uh, that is, they have been either beaten to death stabbed to death, shot to death, or purposely run over by suspects in vehicles and killed. And I got this information from the Officer Down Memorial page. Uh, for, for those who are not in law enforcement, I hope the first season of this podcast has, as much as it can, given you a glimpse into the world of police officers and helped you better understand a profession that is desperately uh, needed to live more peacefully. Uh, for those in law enforcement, I hope you've been encouraged to keep kicking up the dust in, pers in pursuit in spite of the challenges 
And finally, for those of you who are enemies of God, I hope this first season has pushed you closer to knowing the one who kicked up the dust in pursuit of you, Jesus Christ, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you.